That's not on me. <laughs> Pastor Jay's got a timer on me. How long do I get? Alrighty. Oh, that might happen first. So I want to I want to give Pastor Jay thanks uh, for letting me come up here and speak. Um, he approached me you know, a few months ago to ask if I would preach on, on Thanksgiving in November, and I was like, Yeah, sure. And then as I uh, got closer and closer, I was just blank up until probably two weeks ago, blank. And then I started examining myself on me, how thankful I am, and uh, started realizing how many areas I'm falling short in. But because I'm a believer in Christ, you know, I was reminded of what Pastor Jay was saying, you know, we, we stand with our head tall when I come in prayer in front of my Father um, with uh, confidence I can, I can approach his throne with boldness, even in my faults. And so, as I come through this, my, my goal is not to um, help act, um, what do they call that, when someone tries to act humble, but they're really being arrogant about it. That's not my goal. Um, I really do feel inadequate for some of the things, because usually when you hear somebody up here talking, they've, they've at least examined what they're preaching about enough for they can just preach it with boldness and truth. And that's where I, I want to be, but I don't know where I am on, on so many levels of really being thankful. And so, you know, I'm thinking of, of in this season of Thanksgiving and through Christmas and New Year's and into Easter, reminded of so many things to be thankful for, you know, especially believers. During Thanksgiving, the world is reminded about being thankful during Thanksgiving. But that's not how the believer lives. The believer lives a life of thanksgiving all the time, thanking God for life, family, health, mercy, grace, salvation. The things that the world takes out of that thankfulness, we, we know truly what to be thankful for. And when I say the word believer, I'm, I'm talking about a Christian but I'm also talking about the Christian I want to be, not where I am. <laughs> so when I say that, because I'm not, I'm not thankful enough to where I could preach that with boldness and say, I am thankful in all of these areas quite often, because I'm not. So when I say believer, I'm talking about the person I want to be, not the person I think I am in moments of my life. But we live, uh, we live a life of thanksgiving continually, knowing that I was a wretch headed towards a lake of fire, but for grace, mercy, and salvation, God found me, and he wiped away my iniquity. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. I, I struggle with that because God is all-knowing. And um, by choosing to remember my iniquity no more, that's a, that's a choice. And it's a, it's a, it's a willing choice. That God has over me. And I look back on my life. How wretched I was. I was terrible. But during Christmas time. The world is reminded about baby Jesus. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. Loving and tender. In the manger. 
That's what the world sees. That's what I knew growing up was this baby Jesus. I knew nothing else. But the believer is thankful that Jesus wasn't just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. We don't worship the nativity scene. We have reverence for it, for what it represents. But we don't worship that scene in itself. We're thankful that although Jesus was a baby, he is eternal. Not was eternal, but he is eternal. And he left heaven to come to earth. We are thankful that Jesus came into this world to set us free, to set me free in Galatians 5. And before that, in Galatians 4, 4 to 7, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, I am his child, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, those are all very familiar verses to most of us in here, because if we study God's word, those are verses that we know. But... It's different when you're when you're in study and you're preparing for a message and you're like, wow, I'm not I'm not living that out. And you start to really unpack that and what it means. And um, it's kind of funny because all through this message, as I was preparing, it didn't come from a whole lot of study except for a few Bible verses. A lot of it was within my personal prayer time and studying the Bible just on my daily um, morning routine. And then God started, you know, speaking to me through that. But he talks about um, the law. You know, God saved us from the law. You know, before I came to Christ, I didn't know anything about Jewish law. But I was still under the law, my own law. The law that says if I believe in God, if if my good outweighs my bad, if I carry the Bible with me on long road trips, if I pray to this God that I really don't even know, I'll go to heaven. And that's how I thought. I can remember when I moved here. And I would drive back and forth to California to see family. I would carry a Bible with me in my car, thinking that I had the Holy Spirit in my car with me. That's what I thought. I mean, literally treated it like the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, I didn't know, though. I just didn't know. But I had it in my car. But it was never in my heart until in my 20s, when I truly accepted Christ as my Savior. So when I say that, I was no better than the religious Jews that were responsible for crucifying Jesus. The believer is thankful that Jesus has given us power over the enemy. Luke 10, 19 says, Before, or I'm sorry, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall harm you by any means. The believer is thankful that Jesus came from heaven, born as a baby. He's a life giver, a life changer, a soul saver, a grave robber, a life conqueror, a resurrected, a resurrector, and is our resurrecting king. That's what we as believers feel, and that's how we live. We're not just thankful for this for the nativity scene. The world worships that baby that doesn't call them to a life of repentance, or to die to self, or to help the poor, or to help the widow. Or to help someone that can in no way repay us. Who does that? Believers do that. 
Believers do that. Now, the world can have moments, and even some of them have the lifestyle of giving, but they don't give in the name of the Lord. And it's just a, it's just a, sometimes it's just a guilt, you know, because they feel guilty because they have so much they want to give. But they need to understand that God still works even within unbelievers. God can still use an unbeliever to bless the world and to bring people to Christ. It sounds weird, but if um, there's a guy, um, some people don't like him, but he has a company, and he uh, before he was a believer, he was preaching things out of the Bible before he was ever repented and knowing Jesus. He actually led people to Christ before he himself became a Christian. It's so weird. He was in jail, and he led his his cellmate to Christ while he was in jail. So we, we need to understand that God can use anything anywhere that he wants. So the, the believer knows the backstory of this nativity scene. We know the backstory of baby Jesus. We know the middle story and we know that there is an eternity waiting for us in Christ. We know that there is an eternity waiting for us in heaven. The world thinks of heaven as people floating on clouds with wings, playing the harp. That's exactly what I thought because that's what I saw on TV. People floating on clouds, being bored out of their mind, playing the harp. It sounds funny to think of Daryl up here preaching the gospel, thinking that stuff. But that's what I thought. I had nobody to tell me any other. My, my gospel that I heard was stuff that I saw on television. And I don't even need to expand on that. And I'm not talking the Christian radio or the Christian TV. But although we only get a small glimpse of what heaven actually has in store for us, the Bible does give us some insight into heaven. Heaven is mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. But there is still so much left to the imagination. And C.S. Lewis once said, Our ability to imagine what eternity will be like is like two infants in the womb talking about what they will be doing once they are 25 years old. That's kind of a really good grasp on what we have of heaven. Because all the things that we know in heaven, um, like in Revelation 21, you know, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. Verse 7 of 21 says, all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. And there's so many wonderful things about heaven. Like verse 18 to 21 talks about the wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold. Talking about Jerusalem as clear glass. The wall of the city was built on a foundation of stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. Listen to what the city was made of. The first was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was agate. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was onyx. The sixth was carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amineth. I mean, that's what we have in store. There's things in there that I've never even heard of until I read the Bible. We have no idea what the Bible has in store. But if everything that we have to be thankful for, it all comes down to one truth. God is good. 
And we hear that and we see that, but even as a believer, I don't comprehend that because I, I kind of um, liken that to some of the things that I have in my life to, to realize that God is good. But that's just my skewed um, reality in my own brain until I understand what God's word really says. The world, and even me as a Christian, we don't understand the basic truths of what makes God good. We as believers, and myself included, we a lot of times we'll look at our financial blessings and say, God is good. I am blessed. And although those statements are true, it's not because God blesses me financially that God is good. The believer sometimes inwardly believes that I'm actually good. I'm living in the perfect will of God. Directly related to my financial blessings. Got the cash flow coming. I must be doing something right. I mean, sometimes I live like that, you know, because I feel like I'm honoring God. I'm honoring people. But as I mature in my life, and I look back a few years before, I can see some decisions that were made that weren't really God honoring. Now, I'm not saying living in sin, but just stupid things I did money-wise. You know, just, I mean, really stupid. But God blesses me in spite of me. We qualify the goodness of God with our money and our health or our new relationships. Now, I do want to say that, yes, having good health and even financial blessings can be an absolute direct result of that person living for Christ and honoring their resources. I, I didn't write it down, but I think Ephesians 5, maybe 6 in the beginning, talks about children, if you're honoring your parents, you will live a long life. I mean, so there there is direct correlation with the blessing, with the goodness of God. But that's not why he's good. I, we can get caught up in this hype that because I'm financially blessed, I've earned God's favor over my life. And we qualify that goodness. Now, I, I believe that I have experienced this. I believe that I have experienced financial blessings by the things that I have done honoring the Lord. So I don't want to say that that, that, that is separated from my walk with God, the financial blessings or my health. But I'm saying that's not what makes him good. If we read the Bible and study it, we understand that money doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing everything right. We can read countless stories where there were heathens in the Bible that were very, very wealthy. So it doesn't mean I'm doing everything right. I can speak for experience. Looking back over the years, I was blessed probably more in spite of me than because of me or my holiness. I, I look at that and I see that. The point, the point is this. The root of God's goodness is not in these material blessings or even in our health. The root of God's goodness is wrapped up in Romans 5, 8, verses 8 through 10. Very familiar to us again. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than... Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That is God is good. That has nothing to do with my financial blessings. That stuff's just like cherry on top. I mean, that's I'm blessed. But that's not why God is good. Plain and quite simple, God is good because me, Daryl, I was a stinky wretch who did horrible things. I stole, I lied, I cheated, I used his name in vain countless times, yet he still sought me 
and he bought me. That's my father. You're looking at a guy right now who's standing in front of you preaching the gospel. And I've said this story more than once at this church. But I remember a time when my cousin was getting married at a Christian church in in Ponca City. And I used the ultimate God's name in vain statement in the foyer. And I remember my cousins, they all went like this. Because they literally thought... God was going to, they literally thought God was going to strike me with lightning. And these are people who didn't know Jesus, don't know God. I'm sitting there mocking God pretty much to his face. Like, that is not going to happen. My, my cousins were legit scared that lightning was going to strike me because of the words that came out of my mouth. God is good because when I was a wretch, he sought me out and he bought me. But sometimes I struggle. I struggle with the, with the life that I have. I was pretty poor for a while. Um, not very many people know this story. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of it. But I was pretty poor when I was in my middle school years. And when we think of poor today, even the most poor, they have a roof over their head. Most of them have a vehicle or some form of transportation. They have a cell phone. I was poor. Um, I was homeless for about a year now I didn't live, I didn't live um, on the streets. But while my my parents were going through divorce, I had we had to move out, and I lived with a family friend for a short time. And then we lived with another friend. And uh, a funny story: when we lived with the second the second set of friends that my mom knew, they they were a, they were a black family, and there's a reason why I'm saying why they're black. Um, they were very very cool people. We loved them. Uh, their sons were my best friends. And when it was in the summertime, and I was in about seventh grade, and it was hot, and I was in class, and I, and I was smelling Afro grease. And I'm like, man, that is strong. And I realized I had used my best friend's gel in my hair. So I went all day with Afro grease in my hair. But we were so poor, we didn't have anything, so I used what they had. I didn't understand what that was, but I smelled that on me the whole day. But we were only there for a few months. After that, we lived in a Motel 6 for a while. And um, there was an AMPM Mini Mart next door. And for several days a week, I had two hot dogs for 99 cents at AMPM. That was my dinner several nights a week for a few, uh, several weeks while I was there. To this day, I don't have PTSD over it, but I don't like to stay in Motel 6. I don't look at it and have all these memories and flashbacks, but to this day, I'll stay in a Motel 4 and a half with cockroaches before I'll stay in a Motel 6. I don't like, I do not like the memories that it brings up. And it's not just the being poor. We think that being poor, it wasn't just that. There was, there was the fear of the unknown, the literal fear of being on the streets. Um, for some way, my mom got on welfare at that moment, and then we went to a shelter at the next town over. And my mom did have a car, and she would drive me to Reno Valley from Riverside um, to go to school. And I was so humiliated, I didn't even tell my best friend. And this best friend and I, we did a lot of things together. My first shoplifting experience was at a Target with this best friend. And I did a lot of horrible things. There was nothing I held back from this guy. We did everything together. 
And uh, my, my dad, he would always make fun of us thinking that there was more going on to our friendship because we were just always together. He never knew I was homeless. For, for the year that I was homeless, he never knew. So yes, I'm very thankful for what God has done in my life. I'm so blessed way beyond the cross. Beyond that, that moment when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. When I, when I went down to that floor and I gave my life to Christ, I had no intentions of being wealthy, healthy, blessed financially. I didn't know anything. All I knew is the Bible said that I was wretched without Him. And I, all of a sudden, the scales were off my eyes and I realized that. And as I started searching God out, my motives... To me, it had to have been pure because I never, I never heard of um, you bless somebody, God's going to repay you. I, I never knew any of that stuff. But because of what God did to me, I started blessing people. And at that time, we started our business. And slowly, God started blessing me financially. And I started studying God's word more. And I started realizing the concept of what God has in store for people who give, for his children who give. And so I started to realize what it's like to be a giver. So I do want you to know I'm quite the amateur of this. When it comes to God's word compared to so many, especially even in this room. But I can't help but believe that all these material blessings that I have, none of them prove that God is good. What proves God is good to me is that moment when I was down at that altar. And I gave my life to Christ and I woke up. Or I got up a forgiven saint. With all that sin and all that baggage, I had done not a thing for God at that moment. And I was just as much, just as, much of a saint then as I am now and any of you. That's, that's why God is good. So I'm so blessed beyond that. But if God was good because of the financial blessings, we, we, have, to, we have to struggle with, with some questions, especially from some people who are hurting. You know, what do we, what do, we do? Um, how do we reconcile with the number of people who weren't healed? With the people who died immaturely? The number of abused children, aborted children, the poor? Am I a better Christian than them because I'm healthy and I have a nice car and I have a job? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty blessed financially. As I speak right now, I have a nice car, I have a few nice cars, a nice home. But am I a better Christian than the next person who doesn't have any of those things? Not at all. How arrogant I would be if I thought that. So as I mentioned, yes, I am an amateur. But I can think of many believers, even in this room, who have a strong anointing and a strong relationship with Christ that are on all different financial spectrums. There's some are sick, some are close to death, um, young and healthy, young and sick. You know, God has it on all other, all, all spectrums across the board. But yes, I am thankful for the blessings that I have from God. But sometimes I wonder, do I really? So I want to ask you guys for a second. In your mind, I want you to use a pen and paper to think about all the blessings that you have from God. Right now, whether it's health, stability financially, your eyesight, your ability to walk, your ability to make money. A vehicle to get around in, vacation you took, your spouse, warmth in your home in the crazy cold winter days, electricity, sense of smell, taste, whatever you can think of. 
And that pen and pad, in your mind, think of all the blessings that you have right now. Now I want you to stop. I want you to erase all of those. What I want you to do now is to write down all the blessings that you thanked God for this morning. Or even yesterday. And think about this. What if we woke up with only the blessings that we thanked God for yesterday? I wouldn't have a church home. I wouldn't have eyesight. I wouldn't probably have a spouse. God is good to me. He is good to us. He has blessed us financially. So, yes, God is better to me than I deserve. No matter where I am on that financial spectrum, that health spectrum, God is better to me than I deserve. I do not comprehend why some people are so much better off, at least from a worldly standard, than others. But I do know that Matthew 5.45 says, In that way you will be acting as true children of God, your Father, in heaven. For he gives sunlight on both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. I want to examine myself, because how arrogant I am sometimes, not how arrogant I would be, but how arrogant I am sometimes, if I was like that. I want to be thankful. I want to be so thankful to God that expresses on how well I treat others. I want people to know something different about me. I want to be a magnet for the lost. I want to be so thankful to what God has done for me that even things I do for a stranger in my inconvenience not expect anything from them. I want to be that person. Proverbs 14.21 says, It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they have done. And God does not use that to qualify the people who are needy, who are righteous. He just says needy. Proverbs 22.9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In the New Testament, Luke 3.11 says, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted with the world. A couple more and I'm almost done here. It says in Philippians 2.4, Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but the interests of others. How often do I not do that? Hebrews 13.6 says, Do not neglect the good, or do not neglect to do good, and to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing to, to that waiter, that waitress at the restaurant, even when I get crummy service. You know, I always hear about people who who left a crummy tip, you know. You ever heard of leaving nine cents as a tip at a a table? It says to the waiter, you aren't worth a dime. That's, That's really sad because that's how the world wants to treat them. But you never know how bad of a situation your waitress is in at that night. She may have a kid home sick, has no insurance, no money to pay for the medicine. 
She may have just found out she's pregnant and her boyfriend left her. She may have no good reason to have given you crummy service. But God blessed me and saved my soul from death while I was still wretched. I think I can be a blessing to others when I don't think they deserve it. This is, this is something that I've learned. Our culture has it backwards when it comes to tipping. We tip when we get great service. But did you know that we're not supposed to tip after the service? We're supposed to tip before service. The word tip means to ensure promptness. We are to be a blessing before we get anything good or bad in return. So our culture has turned it around. And it's turned it into, I will only do something for you if you do something for me. When we tip, even in bad service, we show the goodness of God. Well, we show that our goodness was out of our love and nothing that that person did for us, especially that waitress. It also does probably more for me than it does for that crummy service or that server that we had. It teaches me to love in all conditions and bless others. I remember when I was uh, at a church in, in Enid, a youth pastor was talking to a group of teenagers, and he was talking about when he was a waiter at a restaurant. And this broke my heart, and this really changed my mind on tipping especially, but being a giver in general. He said the worst night for tips was Wednesday night. That's when the church crowd came in. He said that they would leave a dollar or two and a Bible track, or sometimes a Bible track and nothing. You know, and, and this is me. When If I'm going to do something like that, I'm going to leave above 20% on my tip. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna leave a Bible track, that's me. That's not the word of the Lord says. But I don't want to have that reputation on God for His kids. So I'm going to end with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in eighteen nine to fourteen. I'm going just a couple minutes over, but I wanted to read this this uh, passage. It doesn't really sound like it has a lot to do with the, with the message of Thanksgiving. But I think it does. It says that Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. Sounds like me at times. And he scorned everyone else. Jesus said in verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, the cheaters, the sinners, the adulterers. I certainly am not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even look, lift his eyes up to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and said, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I would say most moments of our life were either like that sinner or the Pharisee. The difference is that sinner didn't know Jesus at that moment. We do. So even when we act a little wretched at times, we don't have to hold our head down when we repent. Even after we do something really stupid. I know this from experience. When I repent, I don't have to hold my head down like Peter did. Where he says, for, you know, go away out of my presence. For I'm unworthy. I don't have to say that to my father. 
Peter didn't know Jesus then. This, this tax collector didn't know Jesus. I know Jesus now. So even in my unrighteousness, my, my wretchedness that I get myself into sometimes, when I come to God, my head is lifted high. I have boldness and confidence when I am asking for forgiveness from God. And so during, during this message, my, uh, my prayer was that would be more like the person that I was just talking about, being thankful, doing good unto others. Because Daryl is not like that very many times. I want to be, and there's things I can do to be better. I, I need that. But I want to be better. And I want to be able to do things that it doesn't matter if anybody sees it. I want to, I want to do that. So I want to pray. I want to ask God to help us examine ourselves. Lord, if there's injustice in our heart, if there's bitterness, unforgiveness, Lord, if there's people that just really, really get under our skin, Lord, I pray that we could speak a blessing over that person. There may be many people in here right now who, if you said a certain name, they would just cringe. But God, I want us to get to a point where we could actually speak that person's name and speak health blessings over them and financial blessings and call them out by name in prayer and say, I love you, whoever that name is. Because God, nothing will get past you, Lord. And I want my heart to be pure before you. And Father, we give you these things, Lord. I thank you that even, even in my bitterness, you still call me back to you. Your kindness still leads me back to that repentance. And I thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Is this when we have the elders come up? It is. Cool. I'm going to have our elders come up. I don't remember the story and how all this goes. All right. I'm going to have our elders come up. Um, if you guys want to come and pray, pray with an elder, come on up. Or if you even want to just pray in your seats with somebody, that's cool. But... Um, don't disconnect. We're here and we want to pray for you. I do want to say real quick that we, uh, we're we really blessed in this church with the elders that we have. I go to these elders' meetings. We discuss things. We disagree on things. But we always come back and we, we agree on, on getting things that's best for God and best for this church. And uh, they love God and I'm thankful for them. So thank you guys.